that experience helped me understand that, you know, in order to really change uh, hearts and minds, change the profession for the better, um, you can be critical of it, but the best way to make change is to be a part of the process. You're listening to the Black and Blue Podcast, a discussion and celebration of the roles of African Americans and other minorities in U.S. law enforcement. Your host on the Black and Blue Podcast is Dale Peters, a law enforcement professional with over 20 years experience in the business. Hop on board this Black and Blue train of interviews, current events, and pop culture conversations. So get ready. The Black and Blue Podcast is coming at you right now. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, how's it going? Welcome back to the Black and Blue Podcast. My name is Dale. I'm the host. Thank you for joining me here today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate each and every last one of you for joining me here on this special edition of the Black and Blue Podcast. I call it special today because I have a chief uh, all the way out in Wisconsin. As you all well know, I'm out in California and Wisconsin is on the other side of the country. So we'll talk about the relationship between uh, uh, Wisconsin and the rest of the world. Let's all welcome in Chief Art Howell of the Racine Police Department. How you doing, sir? Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, I forgot your applause here. Let's get everybody get your applause here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They were in the back and I guess they were watching something else and then I had to add the Hey, the chief right. is on. The chief is on. <laughs> so how you appreciate doing, sir? You. I appreciate you. I'm how you well, doing, sir. I'm excellent. Thank you for joining me here on the Black and Blue Podcast. So you are the chief of uh, Racine. Am I saying that right? Racine? Yes, that's correct. Yes, Racine, Wisconsin. Tell everybody about uh, Racine. What's the demographics? Where is it located? So Racine, for orientation, we're just about 60 miles north of Chicago, just uh, about 24 miles south of uh, Milwaukee. So we're right on this I-94 corridor. So a uh, small community of about 78,000 demographics, just uh, about 60% white, just over 60% white around 22% black, around 20% Hispanic in that area. So extremely diverse community uh, within a stone's throw of Milwaukee and Chicago on the shores of Lake Michigan. Yes, on the shores of Lake Michigan. And uh, did you uh, grow up there from the area? Are you from the area? Born and raised. Now, my, my family, right. now we're part of uh, this great migration from the south. Uh, so over six, you know, you know, six million folks traveling up uh from the south and uh but uh, that's where my parents are from new albany tupelo myrtle in that area but like i was born and raised uh, here in racine nice so you born and raised you were a racine boy huh nice, nice. yes sir yes sir and didn't didn't want to leave i love that i love that i'm uh originally from a little bit further south in, in columbus ohio uh so kind of know the, the great lakes area a little bit myself, but I uh, moved out here way back in 1984. So I've been out here in California longer than I was in California in uh, in Ohio. But uh, still got still got people there, and, and still call it my roots. Awesome, Eight, 1984. That was a good year. That was a year that I was hired. 
Oh, okay. Yes. And we'll, we'll definitely talk about that. So, uh, 1984, you've been on the Racine Police Department for how long now? 36 years. Uh, actually, 36 years and uh, about seven months. Okay. And how long have you been chief? Uh, for the past eight years. For the past eight years. Nice, nice. And uh, so I, I guess you've been through every rank of department, all the way from patrol officer, all the way up to chief of police. What, what sort of assignments have you had in your career? Yeah, interesting story there. Uh, normally, when you come on as a new officer, you can't uh, take the test, uh, become a detective until you have a certain amount of years on. But uh, in the in the mid 80s, um, I was a patrol officer for two years and then we started having an influx of gang problems from Milwaukee and Chicago. And so for the very first time ever in the history of the department, we had a gang unit that was formed. And uh, because I was so close in age to a lot of the gang members, they gave me a special assignment to work along with a detective. And uh, so it was the first gang unit. And so um, before I could really uh, get a chance to take promotional exams, I was actually working in an investigative capacity along with a seasoned veteran. So I learned how to do search warrants, sworn affidavits, things that I probably wouldn't have had a chance to do until later in my career. And so that gave me a unique platform upon which to test. So when I did become eligible to test, I had actually had quite a bit of experience as an yeah. investigator. So I tested, I became a traffic investigator, I became a detective, uh, and, and then sergeant, lieutenant, captain deputy chief in chief and so uh, but I, I trace it all back to that first event where with two years on I had a unique opportunity to operate in an investigative capacity okay and you said that you were you know born and raised in Racine and then you said you were kind of the same age of a lot of the gang members that were or perusing Racine at the time did you happen to know any of them or is it you know ties oh, to the community or? Uh, yeah so this here's an amazing story so like because of redlining and a lot of things that happened in, in, in the 60s, 50s and 60s, like we all grew up in the same areas. And so I had a couple gang members that like lived in my like neighborhood, like where I, where I grew up. And so I knew these guys on a personal level. And so really it was about uh, mutual respect. I mean, they knew uh, if they were basically operating outside of the rules that, you know, I had a role to play. Um, but we had this level of uh, respect, you know, that we could talk at the very least. Yeah, yeah. So no problems there. Great. That's good stuff. Good stuff. And then uh, what, 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 how large is uh, Racine PD? So uh, traditionally over the years, uh, it's been, we've been a little higher than 200 officers, sometimes a little lower. Right now we're 189 is the authorized strength. Uh, but uh, as I shared earlier, being between the major areas of Milwaukee and Chicago, uh, we're a smaller community with a smaller department, but we have bigger city issues because of our proximity to bigger cities. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, you're on that corridor with people going back and forth between Milwaukee and, and Chicago, and they're bringing the problems <laughs> up to Racine with yes, them, Yes, sir. Right? And even in the interstate, even uh, some of our issues go as far as Minneapolis. And, uh, and so, yeah, we're definitely on this I-94 corridor that brings uh, human trafficking. It can bring drug trafficking. It can bring gang activity. And so, yeah, we have to be very uh, open to working with other jurisdictions uh, to basically keep our community safe. 
Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned uh, Minneapolis, so that'll kind of segue into a little bit of what, what happened over this past summer in 2020. Uh, we all know 2020 was <laughs> was something else, wasn't it? And uh, you know, we're oh my all, goodness, yeah, 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 yes, sir. We're we're all glad we're in 2021, even though it sounds like it's kind of feeling like a little bit like 2020 still. But um, you know, in 2020, <laughs> we had uh, you know BLM with George Floyd and, and Breonna Taylor and all that type of stuff that happened over the uh, over the summer. H- how did those events affect your department and your city? So no, no department, as you know, was basically exempt from that experience. And and uh, here in Racine, we actually had. Uh, one of our community policing houses uh, was uh, the victim of an arson uh, in relationship to the events in Minneapolis. And um, uh, the irony of this event that happened here in Racine is uh, there's a beloved member of our community. Her name is Dr. Thelma Orr. Uh, This particular community policing house was named after Dr. Thelma Orr. Dr. Thelma Orr uh, actually was responsible for me being on the department. Um, She knew me from the neighborhood. Um, she thought that I'd be a pretty good police officer and I didn't have any aspirations to do that, but she was very concerned about the disparate number of people of color and females in law enforcement. So this was in the seventies and the eighties. And so she convinced me, uh, to take on this role. And then, uh, so I'm just forever grateful for that. But the community policing houses in our community, uh, basically they're more than, uh, it's not a police outpost, excuse me, it's not a police precinct. Um, we do homework assistance initiatives there. We do, so young folks in the neighborhood who don't have computer access can go to the COP house. Uh, one of our uh, proud sons of Racine, Karan Butler, played with Miami Heat, the Lakers, uh, you know, Wizards. Oh, okay, yes. And uh, he purchased computers for the young people so they can go there. And uh, if they don't have broadband access at their homes, they can also, if you have free or reduced lunch, and then in the summertime, when there's no school, you can go to the community policing house and get your, your meal. And so this is more of a community resource. So this particular home was named after Dr. Thelma Orr. It was firebombed in the aftermath of the George Floyd controversy. The, the, the amazing thing that happened was even folks in the community who were disgruntled with law enforcement were so offended by the fact that somebody would firebomb the house that was named after Thelma Orr, those people who may have been our adversaries, uh, you know, became our supporters uh, because Thelma Orr was just that beloved. And she worked with the police in the 70s, 80s, and 90s to bring about community centers and things of that nature. So fortunately for us, um, what could have been a really tragic event turned out to be something that galvanized the community, all based on life and legacy of... uh, very beloved member of our community. She would be the equivalent of like Rosa Parks on a local level. Wow. Wow. And, uh, was it, was that uh, community center burned down to the ground? Was it, uh, permanently damaged or? No, it, it wasn't burned down to the ground, but it had, uh, some extensive damage and they're still mm-hmm. literally in the process of repairing it now. But, you know, after this event happened, the community came together, one major, um, business donor in particular, uh, we had about $300,000 in donations uh, to, to bring that facility back. And so uh, we're very uh, grateful to the community that they yeah. support uh, our department to that level. And has that responsible person or persons been uh, identified and brought to justice yet? Yeah, now that's the unique thing. So within 24 hours of the event, uh, because 
the community was outraged. And uh, within 24 hours, uh, we had folks letting us know which direction to go, and the people were in custody shortly thereafter. And they were yes. not from this community. The, the two main instigators, uh, they had no idea who them or was clearly, mm, uh, or they clearly. wouldn't pick that particular house. Right, right, right. So round of applause for that as well. For the community and Racine as well for uh, stepping up and, and getting those, those people into custody. That's, that's what's up. That's what community is all about. So, uh, you know, you're born and raised uh, in Racine. You are the police chief there now. Uh, what's the relationship between your department and the community of Racine, particularly in the African-American community now? So overall, we've had a unique experience here. Um, since the probably 92, uh, the chief at that time, Chief Richard Colzine, introduced the community policing philosophy. And, and here it's a little deeper than just putting officers on bicycles and riding through the neighborhood. It's about relationships. And so we have six um, what we call community policing houses in the neighborhoods, and they all are custom made for each neighborhood. One particular neighborhood, um, we have a, a guy who takes care of all of our our, our bikes for bikes bike patrol. But he also, because he loves bikes so much, he converted his office at his COP area, he converted his office into a neighborhood bike repair shop. And so in terms of rapport, um, you know, I would say that we have phenomenal rapport with a lot of younger people. This started in 1995. We created an organization called uh, myself and uh, Officer Larry Ivey, Sergeant Al Dates at the time, uh, Lieutenant Steve Hurley at the time, we started uh, seeing Police Athletic Association to build relationships with young people. So we've been taking kids fishing over the last 20 plus years. Those kids that were 13, 12, 13, 14, 20 years ago are obviously in their 30s now, heading towards 40. And these are the people that are the witnesses, the victims, mm-hmm. the people that we need to cooperate with. And so certainly you're going to have pockets of um, dissension uh, within any community, but overall, because of the work that we put in to build trust over the years, uh, we have a unique uh, scenario in our community. Yeah, put that trust in the bank so that you know when issues like uh, you know past hap- what happened in twenty twenty come about, you know you can make withdrawals from that bank, that trust bank, and 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 it's there for you. Yeah, definitely. I refer to it as trust equity and. Uh, and we definitely had to make some major deposits and uh, withdrawals in 2020. Yeah. So, but if, if you've got 20 years worth of deposits, you know, you'll have that bank to draw from. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, another issue that happened in 2020 was, of course, COVID, the pandemic. How, how did that affect uh, your department in your city? So, yeah, definitely. Just like every other department, we were watching departments across the nation almost have to shut down. And so what we did is we went to an emergency schedule and effectively what we did is we gave our our officers a built-in reprieve and so they would work uh you know they'd work six days for 16 hours and then they'd be off for six days and they'd be on call for six days and then they would be off for another six days so basically they would be off for 18 days so if you were to have any type of exposure that would manifest itself during the 18 days that you were not required to be at work and uh, so that way we were able to uh, stay ahead of the problem. Has the vaccine made its way towards your community? Definitely. We have, uh, we did not mandate it uh, for union reasons, but uh, we made sure that our, our officers and firefighters were first in line when the vaccines hit. 
I've already uh, received my second vaccination and most of the officers have uh, voluntarily done so as well. So we're encouraged by that. Yeah, I just got my second one uh, last week and uh, it wasn't as bad as the first one. But, uh, you know, uh, how did it affect you? So no effects at all. Like the second one, I didn't even feel it. Uh, the first one, I felt a little oh, bit wow. of a prick. And then uh, thereafter, um, not any reaction or anything, just a little bit of tenderness in my shoulder. One, yeah. I haven't really experienced anything. Yeah, I had a, uh, and the first one was like, man, like, well, which, 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 uh, which uh, vaccine did you get, the Moderna or the? Uh... So we, we had Pfizer. Okay, that, that, that might be the difference because I had the Moderna and it felt like, uh, like, not at the time, but afterwards, you know, the tenderness felt like, I don't know, like I got a fastball to the arm uh, for a few days. <laughs> and the, the second one wasn't as bad, just some, some tenderness. And, uh, but the first okay. one, I had, uh, I had chills the, the, the first couple of nights. Uh, Tylenol got rid of that, but the uh, second one, not, not as much. So, Wow. Yeah, the wife was saying, you know, that, that's a good thing. It's showing that your body is, is fighting and, and building up antibodies. I was like, <laughs> okay, yeah, <laughs> if you want to look at it that way, but, you know. <laughs> Yeah. But, but yes, it's over with, and hopefully all of us can get vaccinated. And those that don't get vaccinated, hopefully uh, those that are vaccinated kind of help out with that so that we can get back to normal because there's so many things that, that I'm missing right now that I wish we can get back to and we need to get back to soon, right? Yeah, my mom is 87, well, almost 87 years old, a few months away, and uh, she said she's waiting for the Johnson uh, vaccine. She only wants to take one shot, so she's waiting. Yeah. So yeah. hopefully uh, we'll get that taken care of soon. Yeah, hopefully. Looks like things are moving right along. So hopefully we can get uh, get this one all squared away and, and, and done and eradicated, at least, you know, like polio and chicken pox and, and be done. But these variants are popping up every other week. So, you know, the more people don't get <laughs> vaccinated and don't follow the, the social distancing and the masking, uh, the, the more these issues keep popping up. Yes, sir. You, yes, sir. Are you guys still on the like lockdown issues over there, or for if, as far as COVID? Yes. No, no. We uh, so we've got uh, about fifty percent capacity here in terms of restaurants and things of that nature. So uh, certainly, our um, uh, city leaders are attempting to make sure that we open up in a safe manner. Um, schools are still virtual for the most part, but we're planning. Yeah. Uh, to go in-house within the next few weeks. And so slowly by little by little, we're opening up so that we can keep people safe and keep the economy open. Yeah, that, that's a big issue right now with schools because you can see that, you know, kids are, they, they first of all, they need that socialization, right? And, you know, you, you'll never think I had uh, uh, two kids, one that's in high school, one that just graduated uh, right during the pandemic last year. So he didn't get to have his senior prom and, and a normal graduation, all that. Yeah, it, it was pretty sad. But, uh, you know, he's in his first year of college and now they're virtual <laughs> in college. But uh, I was I was meaning to say a lot of kids are having depression now um, because they're, you know, they're not socializing with their other kids and they're, they don't know how to, you know, they're sitting in front of this com- computer like we are all day long. And that's that's not something that they need to be doing uh, as a, as human beings. Right. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, I've worked with young folks uh, quite a bit throughout my career and I reflect back on my youth and uh, I can't imagine being confined to the home, you know, multiple days in a row. If I had to stay in the house two days in a row, you know, that would be nerve wracking. And so we definitely need to reach out to these young people and make sure that 
uh, we you know open up opportunities for them to socialize and, uh, and get back in the classroom. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, my other one, she's uh, she's still in high school. She's a junior in high school, and she hopefully will get all this this uh, COVID thing out of the way so that she can have a normal senior year next year. But yeah, this Definitely. this year's a wash. This year's a wash. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So you mentioned that uh, when uh, you were younger, you you had no aspirations to be a, a police officer until you were kind of coaxed in the position uh, by the by the doctor you were mentioning earlier. What what was your your uh, experience growing up with with law enforcement? Do you have any negative uh, interactions with law enforcement? So, yeah, as a young person, not so much. But it was just that uh, we didn't have necessarily role models in our community that did that type of work, and so it wasn't anything I aspired to do. Um, as I shared, uh, my parents came from the south. Many people came up for the jobs, and so there was there were factory jobs, there were like uh, automotive jobs, there were so many different jobs that you could make a really decent living. And most of us would have probably gravitated to those um, areas of work. However, in 1980, there was a recession. And so, um, you know, uh, that's when I was approached by Dr. Orr, uh, who indicated that, yeah, well, some of these jobs that were there are not available, but there's there's jobs at the post office, there's jobs at the fire department, jobs at the police department. And so um, certainly uh, she encouraged some of us to do, to reach higher, to look at some different areas, uh, that we had considered before. Yeah. But to do well in this, you know, I hear that a lot, you know, it's a job, but to do well in this job, you have to have it within you, right. You know, to want to be able to help people and to, and to aspire in it and do well in it. Uh, So you obviously had that within you, correct? Well, here's what I, how I would describe that. So, so Dr. Thelma Orr was very wise person. She worked for the local urban league. And, you know, as I look back on it now, and your words are profound. I think, um, and this happens with mentorship, sometimes people can see things in you or see things in others that you don't even see in yourself. And so as a teenager, um, I didn't see these things in myself, but she obviously saw some characteristics that she thought might transfer well to this profession. And and it turns out that she was right. Uh, In terms of my experience with law enforcement, I did have a negative experience uh, in, in the Milwaukee area where I was profiled when I was about 18 years old. And uh, it, it was just that one occasion, but uh, if, if anybody has ever been you know, profiled, I mean, you know, it can affect you long-term. Mm-hmm. And so I think um, that experience helped me understand that, you know, in order to really change uh, hearts and minds, change the profession for the better, um, you can be critical of it, but the best way to make change is to be a part of the process. Be a, be a part of the solution. Absolutely. And and that's always been my mantra since day one, since why I wanted to join. Uh, be a part of the solution. Just don't be sitting on the sidelines yeah. cr- uh, crying about it. Be a part of the solution. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, sir. So, uh, yeah. So you being an African-American, you being a chief there, what, what what's the sort of the, uh, does your, first of all, does your department kind of mirror the uh, demographics of the community? So it's pretty close. It's not where we would want to be. We've, we've done a great, we've been really successful hiring folks of color and females during my tenure. Uh, the only problem is uh, we had a lot of baby boomers that were hired in the 80s and the 90s. And so we did really well in terms of bringing new people on, but we lost people through retirement as well. So it's a constant yeah. struggle. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so you guys are still, you know, actively trying to recruit and being intentional in, in recruiting minorities. Is is that correct? 
Definitely, definitely, and 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 unashamedly so. I mean, and and unfortunately, the George Floyd situation shows us that um, you really want to you really want to make sure that you know you you you're intentional about hiring people of color, uh, females, and not for the purpose of hiring people of color or females, for the purpose of basically broadening the you know the experiences, the levels of you know the range of possibilities just gets enhanced when you have a diverse workforce. Most people understand that. I think people understand to a greater extent post some of the um, traumatic events that we've had across the country. Yeah, absolutely. So you certainly, you certainly don't want to infer that you're going to lower the bar to get females or minorities. Um, I think it's expanding um, your range of, you know, competencies. Yes, absolutely. But, you know, on, on the flip side, I've also heard, uh, uh, being devil's advocate, that uh, some sometimes you need to maybe lower, I wouldn't say lower your standards, but some of the, uh, some of the background issues that some, some of us in our communities may have just uh, from encounters with law enforcement uh, in our youth, that, uh, you know, some of those are automatic disqualifiers that, uh, you know, should, should maybe be overlooked depending on, you know, how severe they were. Um, that maybe in other communities you don't, you don't have that problem. Uh, do, do you kind of see that? And you know, some African American applicants, or other minority applicants, being washed out. Yeah, definitely. So I'll give you two examples in particular. Um, many people uh, over the years, people have assumed that if if a person has a poor uh, credit score or low credit rating, that somehow that's an indication of you know irresponsibility or something to that effect. Uh, what what really needs to happen is you have to take a closer look. You can't just look at the credit score. Uh, look at the, maybe the person uh, went to college and uh, and got behind on college loans or things of that nature. Uh, maybe they had a person in their family who had a medical condition, and then and and so there's all these variables. And so to completely ignore or eliminate someone on the basis of some metric that you can't drill down into is uh, that will definitely undermine your ability to have a really uh, diverse workforce. And, that, and that's, that's a condition that could happen to a person of any ethnicity. Uh, sure. Another uh, area that we found uh, that we had to really reimagine was um, traffic violations and things of that nature. Um, sometimes there's certain people, depending upon the community you live in, you, you may be statistically at greater risk to get a speeding citation than in other it, areas. And so, yes. Um, so it's basically the totality of the circumstances, right? So I think most progressive chiefs, most progressive departments uh, are certainly not looking to lower the standards. They're looking to enhance the, the metrics by which you, you interpret the standards. Yeah. And, and where do those ultimate decisions lie? Do they lie with, with you? Do they lie with someone underneath you? Do they lie with the background investigator to, to be able to wash out a candidate? So I think it starts with the chief's office and then certainly here in our community, we have a police and fire commission. And so uh, if I believe that candidate A should be given an opportunity, irrespective of what's in this background investigative packet, I, as the chief, can go to the police and fire commission to say, based on my 30 plus years of experience, this is the type of person that has the moral character and the compass that we want. We can teach you uh, how to do accents. We can teach you all these different things and, and, and we can 
and we can give you the benefit of the doubt on a speeding ticket that you may have or a credit issue that you may have, but we cannot re-engineer your character. So yes. if, I, if we can start out with that, then I can be comfortable approaching the PFC to say, this is a candidate that I would stake my reputation on, and this is the type of person that we need to police our community. Absolutely. And uh, you, you being African-American, have you had the opportunity to, to mentor other officers, uh, you know, throughout your career to uh, enter the police department for the first, uh, you know, first of all, and then uh, once they're there, you know, kind of usher them along the way uh, in, in their careers? So definitely. So the mentoring, though, it, it happens on multiple levels. Some people decide to come into law enforcement, some don't. Uh, but I think just having access to a person uh, first person of color to hold this rank, uh, it basically opens up quite a few possibilities for other people, right? Whether that be in law enforcement or other areas, they can see that, okay, if, if this person could overcome that hurdle, uh, then I can overcome some hurdles in my life as well. And so, yeah, certainly uh, there's been opportunities for me to mentor people who have come into the profession, but on a broader level, uh, it's, it's, it's great to have the influence to mentor people across the board, different spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then back on the issue of character and integrity, uh, we spoke off air uh, that you you are involved in your church. You're a musician. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, yeah, yeah. How, how involved are you in your church? Yeah, so uh, I'm a part of the music ministry. So uh, so every every Sunday we've, we're not having church now. We're having it virtually. So we stream, mm -hmm. we live stream our music you know, over the internet. And, uh, and so, uh, so yeah, I've been doing that for many years. Actually, I was, uh, I was in a band, I was in a church band when I was like 12, 13 years old. So okay. I've been uh, doing the music uh, thing for quite a few years. What What's your instrument of choice? So I play bass, guitar, primarily, uh, also a little bit of guitar and, and uh, drums, if they let me. If they let you. <laughs> Yeah. Drums has always been an instrument I've always wanted to pick up, and uh, I've just never had the courage to, to pick it up, only because it's you know pretty noisy, right? Unless you get the electronic drums, or you can you know wear headphones, but it's not the same as you know a real set of drums, right? Right. Well, a lot of the young folks, my son included, everything's digital now. They're you know they're programming music. They're not oh yeah, as yeah. adept at playing. They're programming. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I came up, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm still, I don't know if you noticed the, uh, the records back here. I'm kind of a, uh, a music aficionado. I'm a DJ off duty and uh, I came up during hip hop. I'm a big, big hip hop head. So, you know, I know all about, you know, programming on, on, uh, drum machines, 808, the 808 was the, was the big one back oh, in the day. Okay. And it's still that, that sound is still, is still prevalent in hip hop today. So yeah, I, I know all about that. Love that. Love that. But uh, to be able to pick up a, a, a real set of sticks and, and, and get down on it is, is something I've always wanted to do. Maybe I'll do it, you know. <laughs> maybe I'll do it one day. All right. Well, with, with you having that music background, uh, maybe we have to uh, set up a, kind of an online uh, session. I, I, I'm sure some of uh, the other folks that you interview uh, have some uh, musical skills as well. So we have to yeah. kind of get together yep. a, police, a police band. Yes, there's a, a young gentleman, officer out in uh, Sacramento. I'm going to be interviewing a little bit later today. He's a, a Christian rapper. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I have to. So on that note, I'm going to send you. Uh, I'm going to send you a track 
that we did with a Christian rapper. Um, we have a, I didn't mention this, we have a Police Pals music studio at one of the community centers. Okay. And uh, yeah, we actually had a, a Christian rapper come in and rap in our studio. And uh, and it's a, pretty, uh, it's a pretty amazing track, actually. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, I love seeing it. And, and it goes to show that, you know, rap doesn't have to be, you know, all about gang violence and drugs and, and what, what they're talking about now, twerking and trap houses and all that type of stuff. You know, it can be positive, too, so. Definitely, definitely. It can be definitely positive. So uh, as, as chief of police, what, what are one of your crowning moments as a chief? So we, we did something uh, when, the, when the Freddie Gray tragedy happened in Baltimore. I was actually, I was a board chair of United Way. And I was there with, uh, you know, President Rodney Prunty. And uh, we, we were broken at what we saw. So obviously this is years before George Floyd. And uh, so we came back to the scene and we, we looked at um, what was going on in our school system. And, uh, you know, based off of what we saw in Baltimore and based off of what we read in Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, uh, we decided that we wanted to attack um, the school to prison pipeline. And so we created a special, we moved away from school resource officers as they were known, and we implemented this school community policing officer model. And we put handpicked specific officers to do this role. Uh, officer Jake Santana, Officer Jerome King came in and they just, they knocked it out of the park. And uh, long story short, um, what these folks were able to do, these officers, was to build trust, rapport with the young people in the school. And they were able to come up with alternative sanctions for disruptive behavior. And so we're not talking about gang members that are shooting people. I mean, there's there's certain crimes that you still have to treat as crimes. But 90 yeah. percent of what happened in the school wasn't that 90 percent was behavioral. Right. And so whether that was a situation where people uh, had mental health challenges that where they live with mental health issues, uh, we found that when we introduced alternative sanctions for some of the disruptive behavior, we found that we reduced arrests and citations in the school by 43%. Um, these wow. are the lasting things uh, that I think will make a difference. Um, and so, so ironically enough, if you look at uh, Sir Robert Peel's, you know, nine principles of policing, you know, obviously, you know, you want to prevent crime. You don't want to necessarily arrest criminals. And then you have to have the trust and the respect of the community. And then you also, um, you know, have to use the minimum amount of intervention or force necessary. And so those are the three of the top principles out of the whole Peel, um, you know, uh, playbook. And so uh, when we found that we could reduce arrests and citations in the school system by 43%, what that told us is that there was some over-policing that was going on. Now, most police agencies would not like to admit that. But you, when you equip police officers with the tools to make arrests, that's what they'll do. If you equip them with a system that they can use alternatives to arrest, we call them alternative sanctions, then they will use those tools. And so uh, credit to uh, Dr. Eric Gallion, who partnered with the police department to allow us to come to the school systems with a new model. Uh, when most people wanted to kick police officers out of the schools completely, 
we came in with a hybrid system to make sure that the, the community and the schools were still safe uh, without bringing the enforcement aspect to the table. We brought alternative solutions and alternative sanctions. So that's, that's one of the things that we've done uh, that has been incredible. Uh, and certainly uh, I was a part of the, uh, the implementation process, but all credit goes to the folks on the front line who made it happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm really, really big on uh, SROs before the pandemic. I was uh, an SRO signed to one of our local high schools as well. And uh, that was our marching orders when we uh, when we got assigned to the schools is, uh, you know, alternative enforcement, which we call, you know, uh, diversion programs. And, uh, you know, the, the school system, they have their own security. So we let them do most of the enforcement. We're there to, you know, build bridges and humanize and all those sorts of things and, and be be mentors to these youth in, in the school so they can see, you know, a police officer on a one-on-one -on -one level, you know, not just, you know, when, when we're coming into their house to, you know, to deal with mommy or daddy or what have you, you know, we're, you know, they can deal with us on, on a day to day. And, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm big on hip hop. So I, you know, when I speak to these kids, I do a lot of, you know, uh, debates on hip hop, you know, what's, <laughs> what's, uh, what's better, my generation or your generation, you know, just, you know, just having fun chopping it up with these kids and, and they see me as a human being and not just, you know, uh, this guy wearing a badge and, and a gun in their school. Definitely. And I, and I found that to be our, our experience as well. You, you mentioned it. Uh, we've had officers who built rapport in the school system and wound up having to show up at a, a young person's house uh, for something outside of the school you know, environment. And uh, just because of that relationship, it changed the complete nature of how the call went down. And so that, you know that, that is exactly a. I'll tell you a story. The same exact thing happened. There was a young man at this high school I was at, and uh, he, was a, he was a troubled youth. Uh, but I, I talked with him every day, young African-American kid, and uh, he ultimately had to leave the school. He got expelled for some reason, but we still had this rapport. And uh, one day um, uh, there was a call that went out for patrol that, at this one, one house, and uh, patrol said that a couple of the kids went to my school, and if I could show up there, and, and, I, and I went out there and— uh, one of the kids, you know, uh, they surrounded the house because, uh, you know, they had uh, uh, information that maybe he had a weapon or something. And then uh, so then I went up there and then I said, hey, you know, I'm not going to say his name. Um, come on out. It's Officer Peters. And he said, hey, Officer Peters, is that you? I said, yeah, come on out, man. Stop, you know, stop acting foolish. He said, oh, man, you know, uh, my girl's just in here tripping. And he came out and everything was he didn't have a weapon. Uh, he was he was upset on some stuff. But, you know, um, just my rapport with him was able to bring him out because he wouldn't come out for the other officers. And uh, we chopped it up. I gave him a ride wherever he needed to go to get him out of that situation. That's just from that rapport at the school. Yeah, man, as you're explaining that story, I'm just thinking, man, it was all about trust. You know, he came outside because he trusted you. <laughs> yes, he respected yes, you. yes, absolutely. And and that, yeah. that's what it was all about. I'm sad that we can't, uh, you know, there's got to be some way we can, during this pandemic, we can, you know, build those bridges still. Um, I'm, I'm still working with our school district to find ways to, to be able to do that, you know, since there's no in-person in schools right now. But uh I'm working with them. We'll figure it out. I know there's officers finding ways to do it, but it's still not the same, obviously. Right. Right. We'll get yeah. there. All right. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. And in the meantime, we got to keep, keep forging ahead. Right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. All right. So uh, what's the, uh, I know you, you've got 34 years. Was it 34, 36 years? I'm sorry. 36, my, my memory. 36. Yeah. 36. See, I, I knew I was on right there. Um, what's, what's the plan for you? next uh you're on your way out to retire what's going on with that 
Yeah, so that's like the million dollar, if not billion dollar question locally. And uh, so I'll, I'll just. I was going to say, because I don't have a million dollars here for you, Chief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so here's the thing um, grant writing. I was a grant writer here for many years, wrote uh, almost $4 million in state, federal, and local grants to build the COP infrastructure. I want to transfer some of that knowledge um, to building community resources uh, to keep our young folks uh, from ever being caught up in the criminal justice system. Absolutely. I love that. Love that. We, we lost signal there for a little bit. So we got cut off on, on some of your, your dissertation there, but I, I got most of it. And, uh, you know, I wish you well in retirement, whenever that may be, no one's pushing you out the door. <laughs> it may be, you know, maybe next month and maybe, you know, next year, uh, however long you decide uh, to do it, you know. It's kind Definitely. of, it's kind awesome. of, yes. Yeah, it's kind of like the athletes would say, you know, you would rather retire too late than than too early, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in my case, and as you would know this, I mean, um, being in law enforcement since '84, that's over 36 years. You oh, know, yeah. you get a lot of late night phone calls, and mm-hmm. you know, and so it's a strain on the family. So when when the family when you when you answer that call, you know, your family's involved in it as well, and so yeah. I just want to, you know, basically get back to family and uh, do some traveling, do some things that we couldn't do uh, when we were, you know, engaged with this role that I have now. Yeah. What What is the family makeup for yourself? So I so I'm married to I was married the same year I was hired. So it's easy for me to remember how many years. Thirty six. <laughs> yes, years. that makes it really uh, easy. A, <laughs> Keep it easy at home, easy right? For me. <laughs> son and a daughter. Uh, my son is twenty eight. My daughter's thirty one. Uh, they both live in the area, and one's an educator, and one works in the uh, housing industry. And so, um, very successful in their own right. Very proud of them. Uh, and uh, and then uh, have uh, had uh, their six siblings all together. I just uh, lost one of my brothers a couple weeks ago, and uh, but my mom's still living. And so, yeah, thank you. And so, want to just you know spend as much time as I can with the family. You know. Yes. Yes. It, so much of your time was was away from the family. Now you need to get back to that. Yeah. Yes, sir. None of your kids wanted to follow in dad's footsteps and be a cop. No, you know, ironically enough, uh, my son, he half of his social network, they're police officers, and they just assumed that he would uh, join ranks with them. And uh, I think you know he he sees the toll that it can take on a family in terms of birthdays missed, Christmas dinners uh, that get cold. Yep. And, yep. uh, and so he has a different vantage point. And, uh, so, and I was never the type of parent to try to, you know, direct my children's path. You know, you give them the tools and let them figure it out on their own and they'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like you guys did a good job. Uh, mostly your wife, you know, cause you were out doing, doing all the fun <laughs> stuff, chasing bad guys and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. She will be ecstatic to hear that part. Yeah. But no, she has done a phenomenal job and, and she uh, she just retired last year herself, so she had thirty seven years at her job. So to be a working mom, and a you know yes you know stay stay at home mom and working is uh, she does deserve the acknowledgement. Props to all the single mom, uh, not single moms, but all the moms out there working as well. You know, props to all them. So we appreciate you for all the work that you do. I, you know, I got the same here at my household. So props <laughs> to all that. All right, awesome. Awesome. cool. Well, I appreciate you for coming on, Chief. And, uh, you know, this is real fun. Got a lot of good information from you. But, you know, we spoke off air. 
Before I let you go, I got a little quick fire question and answer session for you. This is called. Last night I saw a superhero. He was black. He said, this is for the street. Black lightning's back. <laughs> this is called my black lightning round. I'm just going to fire some quick questions at you and you just fire back some quick answers and uh, we'll get you through this real quick. Not too tough for okay. you. So here's your first one. Okay. Uh, you're up there in, in Wisconsin. I know it's slow, snows, snows a lot. I'm out here in California. So uh, as viewers out here, we need to know, do cops really make traffic stops when it's snowing? Yeah, I'll be honest. Uh, we make less. Yeah. <laughs> you make less stops. That's for sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because I was like, it's too cold to be getting out this car. <laughs> unless it's something. Yeah. Unless it's something major, you know. Hey. You, you live and learn, right? Your next Thanks. one, uh, your next one, Packers or Bears? Packers. Packers, okay, because you were in Wisconsin, right? <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Um, name a person who's inspired you most as a leader. Yeah, okay. So I'm going to go with, on uh, the local level, I got to go with Dr. Delma Orr. Yes, you mentioned her. So, okay. <laughs> good one good one okay so i'm out here in california and i want to visit racine uh where do i need to go what tell me uh, point out a point of interest for me or, or a restaurant or something where do i need to go man you're gonna go down to la tapatia to get some authentic mexican food you're gonna love it it's in the okay. hood but you're gonna best love places those are the best places the best places to go all right yeah yes, so man. uh if you weren't a cop, what would you be doing? Man, I would be touring with George Clinton, Bootsy, <laughs> Funkadelic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Earth, Wind, and Fire would probably have me sit in every now and then. And uh, then I would kick it with Frankie Mays a little bit as well. All right, all right. So on that note, here's your next one. Patti LaBelle or Shaka Khan? Man, got to go with Patti. Got to go with Patti. All right, all right. They're both legends though, right? Yes, sir. Uh, do you shoot right-handed or left-handed? Uh, I'm hey, phenomenal question. I'm left-handed, but I shoot right-handed as far as long weapon. But the handgun, I shoot by strong hand, which is left-handed. Okay, a lot of that has to do with the strong eye dominance and all that type of stuff. Yeah, you know, with your rifle. Yeah, absolutely, yes, absolutely. Um, any person in history, dead or alive, that you would uh, love to meet if you could. Yeah, man, King. You know, you want to, you want. I want to meet. I'd love to meet King. A lot yeah. of questions. Yeah, Doctor King. Absolutely. What was your first car? Man, I had a nineteen seventy Mustang. Lime 19, green. Lime. <laughs> lime green. <laughs> was Was it new at the time? Was it Was it fresh oh, at the time? No, no, no. No, it was about six years old. Okay, well, that's not that bad. You know, six-year-old car. Nah, yeah. nah. But was lime green? Did that look? Did that look cool back in at the time? Did people say like, "Oh, man, listen, if, where I grew up, if you had a car, it could have been pink." That part. <laughs> it was cool because <laughs> you had a car. <laughs> yeah, that part. Yeah, dealing with these youth today is it, is tough to get uh, a lot of them to even get their driver's licenses because you know you got Uber and. And all that, I'm like, how can you not have a driver's license? How can you take out a girl, hang out with your homies? And right, I, I just don't get it. We, we, we old chief. We old chief. Right. I see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all 
right. So I appreciate you. I appreciate you for, uh, for, for playing along with that. That was fun. Get some good insight, personal insight on you. And, uh, Tell everybody, you know, any last words uh, you want the the people listening and watching to know before we get you out of here. Yeah, you know, 2020, as you stated, you know, tough year for law enforcement. Um, but uh, the simple fact is, is uh, we have to figure out a way to coexist. I'm looking forward to a better 2021 uh, once we get past COVID. Um, I'd love to continue to engage, whether it's through consulting or through um, other, you know, interaction. Uh, we definitely got to figure out this, uh, how we build better communities, build safer communities and, and keep communities, um, thriving and, and, in you know, partnership with the community and the law enforcement community in particular. Uh, they've taken quite a beating, uh, a lot of police officer suicides over the last few years. Um, it's accumulated to stress over time. And so what we're hoping is that, uh, we figure out a way to engage on a level that prevents us from ever repeating what we saw in 2020. Absolutely. Great words to live by. All right, chief. I, I thank you for, for joining me here today. I appreciate you, uh, you and your, and your, and your people out there be safe. Uh, continue to mask up and wash your hands and all that good stuff. And, and we'll get through this pandemic together. There you go. Yes, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right chief we'll be in touch thank you great all right great job with the podcast series appreciate you thank you thank you thank you all right ladies and gentlemen that's all she wrote for this installment of the black and blue podcast a big black and blue thank you to my guest on this episode chief art howell of the racine wisconsin police department for popping in and dropping some knowledge on us i truly enjoyed our conversation and i know you'll be retiring soon so i wish you nothing but the best in retirement if all y'all enjoyed this episode too please give it a thumbs up and make sure to subscribe to the black and blue podcast on our youtube channel or your favorite podcast platform i'll be back in a mere two weeks with another great guest same black time same black channel but till then say it with me stay black in blue i'll holla at you peace Entertainment presentation.